Imagine what you could do if you had hundreds of years of influencer wisdom at your fingertips. So head over to theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to grab your free copy of our brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. You won't regret it. So again, that's at theinfluencervault.com. Go there today to grab the brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Let's Do Influencing. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm back with the latest edition of the show. And I'm super excited to bring on a brand new first-time guest in this format, uh, Sue DeCaro. And Sue, I'm super excited to have you here today. And just as a, I guess, a, a heads up, what we usually like to do when we bring somebody on, first thing is to get them to tell us just a little bit about themselves rather than me reading a bio and uh, just a bit about themselves before we dive in a little bit further. So can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and your backstory? Sure, sure. I'm a worldwide life and parent coach, um, supporting parents all over with everyday challenges um, with their children and in their own lives from their own upbringing. That's a whole nother story we'll get into, right? Um, and I, I believe that I have been kind of given this uh, forum to step into this job. You know what, can we start over? Yeah, yeah, for sure. God, I have never had a problem saying my own story until this moment. I apologize. Oh, no, that's all good. Do you want to just start right there again? Like yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and you'll just cut out that nonsense. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you, Corey. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Sue DeCaro. As you know, I'm a worldwide life and parent coach helping parents with everyday challenges. I have two children of my own. They are now adults. Uh, one is 26 and the other is 23. And they have been my teachers in terms of understanding my own pitfalls to my own upbringing and how they showed up in my parenting. And so through chaos and a lot of hard work in my own parenting, this led me to the journey of supporting parents all over the world as a certified coach. So that's the quick story. Yeah, no, I love that. And, uh, you know, we were just talking off air. I have two kids now myself. So uh, mine are quite young and they have already become uh, if not my greatest teacher is pretty close and they're only like infants really. So, I mean, you know, the oldest is three and a half. So, I mean, they're already my, among my greatest teachers and yet they haven't even started growing yet. So I totally get that. And where I'd like to maybe start then, uh, Sue, when it comes to parenting and when it comes to children, I mean, obviously we all know there's no, I mean, there might be books out there, but there's no rule book or manual out there for how to do it exactly correct and uh, you know and then you have the a lot of people would say that each kid's different so you have to work with each kid different so i guess first and foremost where do you usually start with parents because i think there's probably something to be said that most parents are probably doing the best that they can with what they knew and what they know so where do you usually start with parents to figure out maybe what's going wrong if they are having issues uh well first of all i start with parents self-care because I think so many of us don't fill our own tanks that we can't actually see the child in front of us or see what we're bringing to the situation if we don't have energy to do so. And when you're running out of energy, you're not really good to anybody, in my opinion. So we always start there. 
But secondly, I believe in conscious parenting and conscious living, which is bringing awareness to your own upbringing and how you were conditioned to behave or to see parenting and also societal pressure. So it's separating those things and really connecting as a parent with the values that you want to bring forward for your own children. And that takes work. That takes deconstruction as to what you've been taught, what you've been fed to believe was appropriate and what you really believe in this moment. And the second side of this is really looking at the child in front of you. Yes, every child is unique. Every child brings their beautiful gifts and spirit into this world until they're taught not to or taught to hide. And this is the important piece is that we have to look at our children closely and their unique gifts and strengths and help them to continue to open their packages and open their strengths and share them with the world, not conform and be who we want them to be. So we're all incredible parents with an incredible rule book and understanding of what children look like and what this you know, whole uh, process looks like until we have children. I know that was me, you know, I know how it's gonna look and then I had children, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so you know, when reality seeps in, that's when the hard work needs to be done. And raising children is a difficult, it's probably one of the most difficult things that we'll ever have to do because it really takes our attention moment to moment. So it's looking at your side and then it's also looking at your child in front of you. So I have a couple of questions immediately from that question or that your answer to that question. But first one is what about outside inputs? Like what can we do about that? And, and what makes me think of that is my son, my older son goes to a daycare and uh, he calls it a school, but he goes to daycare and there's another kid that was there that was pretty rambunctious and, you know, and he of course sees this kid as the cool kid because he's doing different stuff than everybody else. And then he was coming home and then becoming the cool kid uh, uh -huh. for those that are listening on audio. I did, you know, quotation signs, but he thought he was the cool kid then, but the challenge as a parent is now he has this extra input that he actually values and looks to as like, wow, I want to be like that kid. So he feels that kid's getting attention that I want. And so the other challenge, and, that, and this is only minuscule because then you get to the point where they're in junior high and high school and they see their friends smoking or swearing or what have you. So I guess, what are your thoughts around how a parent can deal with that kind of stuff? Like the inputs that you can't control because you're not with them at the time. You can't be with them every second the stuff's happening. So love to get your thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things to understand is we cannot control our children. We can't control anybody. The only person we can control is ourselves and our reaction and actions to our children and anyone else in this world. So, you know, it's really about teaching and empowering the child in front of you. So, you know, with your child, it's talking about why that behavior in your home is not conducive to, you know, your home or to your rules or to your, you know, values and, and asking him questions so that you make sure he's processing that. You know, why do you think this behavior is cool? What makes it cool? Oh, the kid gets in trouble all the time. Why is that cool? Is that the kind of attention that you want? Attention where you're in trouble? You know, so it's asking questions, not always lecturing and sharing, you know, the value in, you know, in a word format. So empowering children is crucial. Empowering them with why smoking is, you know, is bad for our health. Not just laying down the law, don't you ever smoke or you won't be allowed to live here or whatever, you know, whatever the threat might be. because that's not going to do anything. You know, if a child is in that moment where they're making a decision to do something, they're not logically thinking because their brain's not fully developed to be able to think of, you know, the, the cause and effect or the consequence of their action. 
So really getting the backstory to the child and understanding, you know, why drinking is, is not good for us and why uh, smoking is an issue, but not again by lecturing, by making it conversational and, know, and helping your children to know that they can come to you with anything. This is where controlling our actions and reactions is really important. If you can set up a stage where your children can come and share anything with you and they're not afraid that they're gonna be disciplined or punished or shamed, in any way, but that you'll help them and stand by them to walk through it, then you're going to be able to guide them in a much better way than trying to lay down a law because you have no control. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, it, it does. And, you know, I know my girlfriend was quite proud of my son because we were trying to sort of curb it and the teacher was as well. And the teacher felt bad because it was the, definitely the other kid. Like, you know, you, parents are always saying, oh, it's like the other kid. But the, even the teacher was saying, just do you want us to move the other kid out of the classroom? Like the teacher was seeing it. And so um, my girlfriend talked to him numerous times on the way home from school about it. And then for about three or four days, he'd start going back when the other kid would start misbehaving. And of course, he'd get our, want our son to jump in with him and he would say that. Anyway, our son, like three days in a row, put that down the rule and said, my mom said I'm not allowed to behave like that. I love and, it but he wouldn't do that. But, you know, I still think, okay, that's, that's one thing in, in when he's three and a half, but I can imagine, you know, it gets harder whenever it's like, you're, like you said, you're not allowed to smoke and here's why. And I mean, I, I hate to say it, but when I was a kid, my mother went to two extremes. She basically went to the extreme first of, you're not allowed to smoke because here's what it does to you. And, you know, gave examples. I had like my great grandfather passed away from lung cancer and all that. But as a kid, I was like, you're telling me I'm not like, and she didn't even say like, you're not allowed to smoke or you won't live in this house or anything. She just said, here's why I don't want you smoking. And I still was like, this makes it cooler. Like she doesn't yeah. want me to do it. And as a kid, I thought it was invincible. So whether somebody passed away at 60 or 55, I didn't as a kid get that. Cause I was just like, yeah, but he was 55 or 60. Look at me. I'm a kid. I'm invincible. And I'll just quit whenever I hit, when I hit 18 and all those things, you know, that's, I know I just speak from the child's point of view. That's what through my head. I'll tell you. And, and you know, I'm going to say this might be not considered parenting 101, but my mother was a smoker. And then I said to her, I said to her, well, you smoke. And it's, I love that. It's awesome or whatever. Anyway, ultimately my mother, I actually side note story is that I had a friend come over and we both were smoking cigars, like the big cigars. And uh, I left the house and left one, thought it was out and cigars don't go out as quick as you think they do. And I burned a hole in my bed, my bed. And my mother came home to smell and smoke and found it. And she ultimately said, you're obviously not going to quit. So I would rather you smoke in front of me with an ashtray than burn my house down while mm -hmm. I'm not home or at, when we're home sleeping. And so she ultimately let me smoke in the house. And the weird part is, and I did keep smoking, but the weird part is I quit at 18 and never had a cigarette since. And then I know friends that uh, weren't allowed to smoke and they were, and they said, you know, because of this and it was the health thing and everything. And then they hit 18 and they're still smoking today at 45 years old. So I don't know what, like you said, there's no rule book. I don't know. My mom, I don't know if it was a wise decision or not. And parents would say it's horrible today, but it worked for me because it wasn't cool anymore. And I did keep smoking for a while while my friends did. But ultimately when I hit it, I became an adult. It's like, this isn't cool anymore. I don't know if I would have the realization if she would have been fighting me over smoking for eight years. Right. Well, it's a taboo. You know, it's, it's that taboo feeling. It's something that's taboo to a child that doesn't have the, um, you know, the logical brain development to be able to process thinks taboo is cool, you know? And I think, I think the one thing is we are models for our children. So if we're smoking and then telling our children, you can't smoke or you shouldn't smoke or don't smoke, 
it doesn't go well. You know, it just, it's like saying, you know, I can do it, but you can't because I'm, you know, I'm older than you. I'm better than you. I'm, you know, I know better. Um, it just doesn't go over well. So I really think first we have to be the models. And secondly, think of taboo and, and how taboo entices children. So we didn't have candy in our house. So I snuck to get candy all the time because taboo was eating candy. And so it just made me go off the rails and think, oh, well, I can't have candy at home. So I'll just go to the store myself and hide it like you did, you know, with the cigars. And I think when we acknowledge that our children have an interest in, in smoking and drinking and, and talk with them about it and not make it even a taboo conversation, we're going to be able to support them in a different way, whether it's letting them smoke in the house, eating the candy in front of us, you know, or or having a drink when we are at a dinner table so that, and again, everybody's family is different and you know, everybody has different values. There's no right or wrong here, but there's something about bringing a, a sense of um, comfort and conversation to the table. And in a lot of foreign countries, you know, drinking at 16 is, is acceptable mm -hmm. and they don't have the same type of you know, problem where kids go off the rails you know, with alcohol. So I just, you know, we have rules that we need to follow legally, but I think there are things that we can do to, to incorporate our children in empowerment and conversation to help them make good decisions for themselves. Well, and to that point, I mean, what you just said, as far as rules and laws and that, I mean, at the time, in fairness to my mom, at the time, the world was a lot different. I could go to the store for my mom at six, so even before that, with a note and pick up a pack of cigarettes for her at the store like and it was common like all throughout the town they just trusted oh your mom sent you <laughs> but but, uh, but my point is is that my mom could send me in the car and then it, at the very most they might look at it and see if she's there and she'd wave you know and they'd let her or or kids i know kids they would false like write a false note and you could bring a note saying getting cigarettes for my mom at 10 or whatever so it was a different time but then also there was no age like they didn't say you can't smoke until this age and what happened for me back then is every time they put the age up I had just made it past the next age. So what I'm saying is one thing I'll say about my mom, it was never illegal actually at the time. It would be now. Uh, but the, the key thing you said there, I think, Sue, and again, it's not to say what she did is right or wrong, but the key thing to note there, she wasn't prepared to quit smoking. So if, if, if she wanted me to model what she's saying, like, you know, this could, like, for example, you're saying, well, uh, like I said, the example, well, your great-grandfather passed away. Do you want to pass away like that? But then I'm looking at her, she's saying it's smoking a cigarette, right? I mean, so I'm like, well, you obviously do. And you're my moral, moral model. So in that case, my mom wasn't willing to quit. So I think she made the best choice, again, with what she knew and what she had at the time. Interestingly enough, about, she'd be able to say the exact timeline, but about 10 years ago, my mom quit smoking. She had smoked for like 50 years almost. And she quit wow. about 10 years ago. And it's so weird to me because I never thought that would ever happen. But yeah, it's, my grandfather was at her all the time for years. Like her father saying, and this is in her 30s and 40s now, you need to quit that habit because he smoked and he quit. And, he, and I find sometimes past smokers are the ones that want you to quit the most. And he was like saying that to her. And again, she said, well, you smoked. And they would have this fight back and forth. But the big thing I learned about that, just to use that example, is my opinion is when it's an addiction like that, the person has to want to quit on their own. Sure. I, I don't think you can guilt them into quitting enough that they'll stick with it. Uh, versus if you can actually uh, just support them and they ultimately say, you know what, I need to quit this thing because. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's like That's anything we're addicted to, really like technology. No, I, I agree. I mean, we used to break my mom's cigarettes in the pack and put them back in and you know, that, that didn't help her quit. 
<laughs> it just annoyed her. So, you know, it didn't really work well. And then I smoked as it was myself. So, you know, I think embodying what you want your children to believe and the values you want to bring forward when you can, when it's not an addictive, you know, scenario is really important because when we've embodied it, it makes a huge difference in what our children see. They don't see a hypocritical, you know, arena. Absolutely. And I want to switch gears, but I'll just finish off by say, that part by saying my uh, girlfriend um, early in our son's life was still smoking. And we went to, on this trip, and this is when she quit. We went on this trip uh, to San Diego for Blue Talks, actually. And uh, we were doing, did the live event and all that. And at the end of the, or throughout the whole trip, he kept saying, uh, where's mommy going? Like, I'd say, where's mommy at? Because we had a, we brought a sitter along with us, too. And he said, mommy, puff, puff. <laughs> and he kept saying, <laughs> mommy gone, puff, puff, mommy, puff, puff. And she didn't really like the name mommy, puff, puff. <laughs> and so yeah. she decided on her own you know, she thought that there's my sign. So it wasn't like he was telling her to quit. He actually, I think he even thought it was cool. Like mommy puff puff. Like he didn't think it was a, and his, her father, his grandfather go papa papa puff puff. Like he, like they, he almost thought it was like a, a cool name. So it wasn't like he was talking her out of it. It's just that she said, wow, now my kids actually talk about me smoking and seeming like it's cool. And so she said, it put it in her head. Like, I feel this is, this habit could be the reason I'm not here to see my kid grow up and have his child that says, you know, some other cute name that's not Puff Puff. So right. it's just interesting how that all works. But I just thought I'd share that story because, again, that's a scenario where she decided on her own. And so we were together for three years at that point, and I never once said to her, you need to quit that habit. Now, it's still my choice as a person in a relationship with somebody if I want to be in that relationship. But I never said quit, even though I haven't smoked in 20-some years because I loved her and I realized it's an addiction that if I, it's, I know they say uh, cigarettes are as addictive as heroin. So, I mean, I'm, I know that I'm not going to be able to just instantly say to her, you quit smoking or we're breaking up. That's not the way it's going to happen. Right. I right. just felt eventually by me being a non-smoker and us having friends that don't smoke and the laws of smoking changing so much, eventually she'd just say, you know what, this isn't worth it. So, well, having the child hold up the mirror, you know, mommy puff puff and, you know, grandpa puff puff is sometimes enough to help us look at ourselves in a different way. You know, this is, this is the point I made at the beginning. Our kids can be our greatest teachers and something as small as that can make the, can really help us to dig deeper and try to make a change. So true. So I want, I said, I want to shift gears. Uh, that was like a whole uh, smoking, <laughs> smoking like <laughs> tangent for like 10 minutes. Um, but so I wanted to switch gears to uh, the chapter you have in the blue talks book. And I wanted to talk about, um, like, I love the title, and I also love the concept of the mask we wear, especially in 2020, because there's sort of a metaphor in comparison probably to wearing masks, um, meaning like you can tag into the fact that people are talking about masks more this year than ever before. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about the chapter and what the catalyst was for it? Sure. Um, I think it hit me one day, you know, I was in the grocery store and just seeing everybody in masks and realizing that these masks are a metaphor for what we're hiding, which is our true self in many of us uh, as adults. And what I mean by hiding our true self is we're born in this world authentic, a true human being, you know, connected to our true selves. And something along the way, many things along the way can lead that to change and shift. And one is societal pressures, another is parental pressures and, and uh, concerns and the way we're up with the way our upbringing is. And it helps us or hurts us in creating a shell, creating a protective shell around us that 
keeps us from being hurt or being blamed or feeling disappointment or shame or fear. So what happens is you start to get into a cycle where perhaps you're in trouble for this or you're in trouble for that. And the things you're in trouble for, maybe your true self shining through, maybe you're really loud, right? you just have a really loud voice and you yell a lot and you get in trouble and shamed for that behavior. You may learn to tailor your actual voice and maybe not even speak as much as you normally would. Maybe you become quiet and introverted and that's not truly you, but you learn to protect yourself from disappointment, from the feeling of shame or you know, upset or in trouble or being pointed out all the time. And this is where the protective shell comes in. We keep these protective shells until we realize that we have lost our true self behind them. And the protective shell is a shield. It's a hard coat, right? And the true self underneath is more of a sensitive being that would be affected by the way people are treating us and the things people do around us or to us. So it's really a process of releasing and learning that your true self is much more valuable than this protective coding. And to find your true self is connecting to your, your inner being and the light that you were put on this earth to shine. So this is part of the work I do in life coaching is really help people to connect with this part of themselves. And I've had my own mask. You know, I was a disappointment um, in many ways. And, you know, I was shamed a lot for, for who I was. I was a devil. I was always in trouble. I, you know, had words come out of my mouth at three, which I must have heard somewhere, you know, that I got in trouble for. And so, you know, I was always getting in trouble. So I learned to shield myself from that from the disappointment, you know, and the negative feeling and the fear of, you know, what's going to happen next? Am I going to get in trouble again? And so it took me years to break that shell open and find my true self. And I think one of the most important things about this is we're fed this platter, all of us, you know, of what society expects, what our families expect, and, you know, what our culture, whatever cultural connection you have, what they expect. And yet they may not align with what your true self internally feels and wants and in you know, a ways you want to live. And I know a lot of people have broken free from really heavy cultural conditioning because it didn't speak to them. And when you are able to break free, not only is it a true gift for you, but it also provides freedom for your children. If you, you know, if you have children and others in your life to be able to shine their own light and find their own light within them. So this is a gift, you know, the gift of breaking free, of finding yourself. And we have to block out the external noise in order to be able to do that, to listen to our internal heart and, you know, true uh, values and beliefs. So a few things I want to unpack there. One of them, and, and I was making a couple of notes because I want to make sure I mentioned a couple of these, but another story that came to mind that I want to share for people, because I'm sure people can relate to this. Uh, and then a couple of things I want to jump on in terms of what you just said, but, um, in terms of the idea of people can, you know, give that, whatever that is, they can uh, say something to us or, or do something and all of a sudden we start wearing a mask. It makes me think of uh, when I was 16-ish, roughly, maybe 17, I had a, a girlfriend who had never really heard me play guitar. And I was, I had been playing for maybe four years, but not in front of anybody. And this one day I'm in the living room, like I'm not even in the same room with her and I'm playing and, but I knew consciously it was the first time I was playing for her to hear me and I'm singing and playing. And I know, you know, I've been playing guitar now for 30 years, whatever I have CDs out, but I know I was, my singing was really not very solid. <laughs> you know, she was not wrong to say it was not good, but she came out 
And she said, can you please stop singing? You're hurting our ears in here. Out here. And then she said, uh, I said, are you trying to, and I don't know why, but it just got my back up. I said, are you trying to tell me I couldn't play in front of people? And she said, I'm trying to say, if you ever play in public, you let me know beforehand. And then we can just decide to part ways so I won't be embarrassed by you playing in front of people. And so the reason I bring this up is because I know other people in my life who their parent, their mother or whatever said, you know, you know what, do something else because you're not meant to be a singer. And they never sang in front of people again for like 30 years. And then eventually it comes back out again. Whereas with me, I went kind of the opposite way. I said, I'll show you. And we didn't last very long from there. But I'll tell you, and it's not meant to be like, um, you know, the idea of revenge type story, but it was like, it drove me to want to push harder in that area. And so ultimately, I ended up putting up four CDs, a music video, and I toured. And the, the kind of the funny part to the end of the story, the full circle closure, is she reached out to my mother one day and said, you know, I know Corey, I see he's singing all the time and music, and I was checking out his stuff and that. And then later in the conversation, so is he seeing anyone right now? So, you know, the full closure was like, um, now the person's like super interested again because of the talent that I had doing the thing that they said I could never do publicly. And I mean, it's just kind of a funny full closure, but here's why I bring it up, Sue, is people always say to me, so she gave you a gift. And I say, based on how I responded, yes. But there's a lot of people, and I know because I know people that did it, and I could have easily just been that person. A lot of people would have responded by never playing in front of anybody ever again. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know if it's a gift. And, and again, it's not her fault. It's my, still my choice how I respond to what somebody does to me. Right. But I just want to bring up, I, I love what you say there, because... I know a lot of people would wear masks and there's other areas in my life where I'm sure I did when I didn't do something well and somebody commented on it. And now the full circle, I want to share that story to kind of lead into a second question. One of the things I noticed is as a society, and maybe it's because we see it on social media, but as a result of social media, authenticity seems to be the new thing now. Everybody's talking about, you need to be authentic. You need to put your real stuff out there, get rid of the filters and all that kind of stuff. My question out of all this, with working with people around this area, do you find we're moving in the right direction? Do you find social media is positively impacting that? Um, or is it, is it, you know, is, or is it just like a new thing and now there's good and bad of it? I'm just curious your thoughts on it. You know, I, I think it can go both ways. You know, I, I see the posts that you see and, um, and I think there is more focus on that, especially people doing the work that I'm doing in this world. But social media still, in my opinion, is a realm for us to put out there the good, you know, what we want people to see. And I don't think we've quite shifted away from that, you know, and we're raising children to do the same thing on Snapchat and, you know, Instagram and all of that. So I don't think we've, we've stepped away from social media being a place where we, we show, you know, all our greatest strengths and our shining stars and not our pain. I think the more we show our pain and really share stories from our heart, you know, and broken heart, perhaps, the more we will continue to step into that space. But I I don't think we're there yet. I think people are starting to realize, adults that I work with, starting to realize that the more they step into their authentic power and see themselves in a different way as humans. I mean, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to need to own those mistakes and, and, you know, own up with our kids and, you know, making the mistakes. This is how we're going to raise the next generation to be who they are meant to be. And so it takes a lot of commitment to want to live this way. And it's not just on social media. It's everywhere. So agree. Well, and I want, and I want to circle back uh, as we start to wind down to the parenting kids side of things. But um, it's interesting you say that because I did a talk for Blue Talks. The very first one I did was called Living the Unfiltered Life. 
and it was about this whole exact subject. And I like the talk, but I feel now it could be so much more and we haven't aired it yet. So I'm debating refilming and doing a new version of it because originally it was bothering me how many people are scamming other people and the idea of doing a video in front of a mansion saying, this is my life. And then like I always joke, but it's true. We don't see when the camera gets turned off and then the person chases them off their front lawn. So stop filming in front of my mansion. We only see the filtered part of it. And so it was more around how can we, A, why should we stop doing that? But B, how can we make sure we don't get scammed by somebody doing that? But now I see it as more of the authenticity thing and showing our warts and scars and all and how it can benefit people. So anyway, the talk I think is going to evolve. But one of the things that I thought of too, I was watching a show called Ridiculousness. Now, most people listening to this probably won't have seen the show. It's um, America's Funniest Videos for Adults, basically. And it's on MTV. And we watch it, the reruns of it, because it's been out a long time, but we we've helped my girlfriend and I watch reruns for, it's like our, um, what would you call it? Our guilty pleasure. But anyway, mm-hmm. one of the funny things is there was a kid that was on there recently. And it made me think of what you said about modeling and all that. The kid said uh, the F-bomb. And mm-hmm. then the mother said, what did you say? And she's filming him. And he get this look like, like almost like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And then, but the, one of the hosts in the show said, his, his look was almost like, what? You say it all the time. And that's yeah. the, what made me think of it is when you said Sue earlier, like I said this language and I must've heard it somewhere. And, you know, I thought of this, that moment, like that, how often does that happen where the kid in their head's thinking, they might not say it, but what? You say it all the time. Why can't I say it? What? You're smoking. Why can't I smoke? Right. And so right. it comes in a circle. But yeah, I mean, I really think that's a big part of it is the modeling. Again, there's no, as we said, rule book or manual, but I think at the end of the day, one place we can start is say, am I practicing what I'm asking my children to practice? Yeah. And, and beyond modeling, it's embodying, you know, you can model, for example, I had a friend that, you know, would eat healthy in front of her kids, but she had a junk closet and the junk closet had tons of candy in it because she was a candy addict and she thought they didn't know. And they know, they knew, you know, so it was a big joke for the kids. So it's not only modeling in front of your kids, it's modeling in your life. It's embodying the beliefs that you have for your children and your family as your own beliefs first. So we can't ask our kids to do things that we can't do ourselves. You know, respect breeds respect. We have to first show respect to our children by expecting them to do the things that we can do ourselves. You know, like telling your child to make their bed and clean up the room, but ours looks like a bomb went off. This is not embodying and, you know, respecting in a way that, you know, really works for our kids because they see it, they know it, and they, they, they will take that in and process that in a way that you might not know until later, but it doesn't go over well. So we have to be the change we want to see in this world, you know, that old saying, in our family. Be what you want to see in your kids. If you want to see respect, be respectful. If you want your kids to listen, listen to your kids. If you want them to clean up their room and do some chores, well, you know, do your own first. Demonstrate what that's like. Don't just expect them to, you know, do things. So, so I have a big question, really big. I call it a really big question that uh, before I ask you how we can learn more and finish things off, I want to ask you this big question. And, I, and you know, I saved the biggest for the last because you probably can see that uh, I'm coming in with a big one whenever I've said it like five times, the word big. Um, but one of the challenges I face as a parent, I know my girlfriend does as well, something you said earlier about self-care and you know, taking care of ourselves and giving ourselves time and all that kind of stuff. 
this this is the part where I find it challenging. So you have a, in my case, let's say you have a three and a half year old that as soon as I walk in the door until as soon as he goes to sleep, he wants to play, he wants to do stuff, he just wants to go. And of course, I'm working during the day until I get there. So it, the challenge is finding me time. Now, my girlfriend has it harder because she's with the youngest one all day. And then the older one comes home. Now, the only thing right now, saving grace, is the youngest one sleeps a lot because he's a young kid and the other one's at daycare during the day. So she does get a bit of time, but she wants to keep up on everything, like cleaning the house and all that stuff. So how do you recommend people actually get the me time whenever there's so many demands on their time? Yeah, that's and, and especially in 2020 and going into 2021, I think it's really challenging. I think you have to take it wherever you can. So, you know, when I work with parents and, and teach self-care practices, we talk about just five minutes even to start. So if you don't have a self-care practice at all, start with five minutes. Start with, you know, maybe a mindful shower, right? The things you already do bring mindfulness and awareness to your senses and to taking a shower, not just get in, get out and, you know, check that off your list. And, you know, the second piece is try to carve out time to just go out in nature. So Corey, before you come home, you could actually walk around the building where you, you where your office is or stop at a park on, along the way. I mean, granted, it's going to make you a little later coming home. But if you give yourself just five or 10 extra minutes to do something that is, you know, that me time, something different, something for you, even if you just like to sit in your car and listen to music. I mean, today we have to be creative because we can't just go stop somewhere and go in and, you know, sit around and shoot the breeze. So we have to be really creative, but it's finding just the little tiny pieces of uh, energy that you feel served with by the small little chunks of time that you give yourself. So, you know, many people just go rushing home from work and run in the door. Well, there's no break. So you've gone from one stressful environment, perhaps, if you have a stressful job, or one focused environment to another focused present environment. And taking five or 10 minutes, there's something wrong with that. You're going to show up in a healthier way for your children. And, and as the children get older, we should actually address the self-care. You know what? On the way home, I stop for five minutes and just energize myself so I could be here, you know, present, full of energy to play with you. I mean, he's a little too young to understand that right now. But as he gets older, it's important that they learn that we need to take care of ourselves. And that way, hopefully, they see it's important for them to take care of themselves as well with self-care practices. Yeah, it makes me think of... Um... It's probably a year ago now, but I interviewed uh, some of our listeners who know who Lisa Nichols is from The Secret, mm -hmm. and um, she wrote Chicken Soup for the African American Soul, and she's been on Oprah. And Lisa Nichols, I love what she said because everybody always talks about um, wait till your cup is full to start pouring. She says wait till you put, add a saucer underneath your cup and wait till it's overflowing. Because you can't once it's still full, you're giving from yourself, but it still means you're depreciating yourself. What she's right. saying is make sure you have so much that even giving, you still have more than a full cup. It's and, tough today, though. And uh, I'm it, sure Lisa would agree. It's really tough today because you have to be so creative in finding the time. That's you know, harder for, than it's ever been. For your girlfriend, you know, dance parties in the kitchen. You know, again, my self-care practices, I like dance parties, are not everybody else's. So people have to find what serves them. But with your children, you can also do things that make you feel fueled like dancing in the kitchen, you know, things of that nature. So it's really just carving out the time. I wonder when you said that, I'm curious, did you see our videos? No. Okay, I didn't know if you said that because we do a dance party every Friday night. So I didn't know if you were talking about that. We, oh, no. 
I don't film them, but my girlfriends film them and posted some of them. But we do, and even at the littlest one, we take turns like moving his chair, like his, his little chair. So he's dancing too. Um, and he just smiles. He doesn't know what's going on, but he sees, we're all happy. He seems good energy, but uh, we do a dance. Yeah. That's why I was wondering. And the other thing that we do, which again, not everybody would agree with this or like this because there's some people that think you should never sleep in and all that other stuff. But my girlfriend and I both love sleep. And so uh, on the weekends, we miss sleeping in because we used to be able to sleep in on the weekends, of course. And so now what we do is she always says to me before we get to the weekend, which day do you want, Saturday or Sunday? And then one of us sleeps <laughs> in one day and one sleeps the other. And we Beautiful. work our best to try to keep the three and a half year old from kicking open the door and running into the one that's sleeping. Um, the other thing we do is, or no, so the other thing I was thinking I was going to ask her if she wants to start doing is each of us giving ourselves an hour uh, outside of the sleeping, because the sleeping, you're sleeping, you're not getting the self-care still. Right. Um, actually saying like, you know, do you want to take one hour of this weekend where you're completely free, you can do whatever you want, and then I'll watch two kids and then vice versa. Absolutely. And when you're a tag team, it's a beautiful way to, to honor that time, that me time. Absolutely. And an hour is not a lot of time. It goes by very fast. Yeah, well, what we've done thus far as we've divided to try to conquer. So we basically, she takes the youngest one because she's breastfeeding, as I mentioned. I take the older one. That's typically when we're both home, we kind of each take one. But, uh, you know, again, where we're doing it already for the sleep in, I'm thinking, why don't we just take an hour? I mean, I don't think you could probably take the hour right after you woke up because the kid sees you and they're like, I want you now. You've been right. sleeping the whole time. But I think some point during the weekend, we could each get an hour that way. And Absolutely. she's getting better because she just takes the hour. She just says, good luck. You know, like she goes off and she, I haven't looked at my phone in two days. I haven't read a book, whatever. She just takes it now. Uh, but it took her a while to get there. But I think it's, even though when it, when it happens, I'm like, you should give me notice. It's still healthier for her to do it. You know, people think this is selfish. It's not selfish. It's actually selfless because if we don't continue to do it, we lose it. You know, we just lose it in front of our kids. We have less tolerance, less patience, less presence. And, you know, it's, that's not a great way to raise children. So yes, if you're, you know, if you have a partnership where you can balance off and, you know, one take the children while the other gets a break, that's a great avenue. And, and just carving out the time, being intentional about what your self-care practice is for this day and that day. And for a lot of us, it's going back to what worked before. So, you know, for example, I have a lot of clients that have just lost touch with their self-care practices, but they used to be runners. And, and when I say, what happened? Well, you know, I got busy with the kids. Okay. Did you like running? Yeah, I loved it. Well, let's see how we can fit that back into your schedule. It's being intentional to bring the things that bring you joy into your life in whatever way you can carve it out. And, you know, if you're a runner, then taking that hour maybe where, you know, you at least get one day a week, or maybe you get up before anybody else gets up and you use that time to run. So it's really finding the things that serve you and bringing more intentionality to them. And it's, it's another form of modeling and embodying for our children to see that we take good care of ourselves because we're worth it. We're valuable. And so, Sue, so, like I said, the last question I want to ask you is essentially where and how we can learn more about the great work that you do. Um, and I will say, yeah, I mean, I agree that you know, we're, we're struggling with this, but we're constantly trying to find that balance of where we can get some of the time back. So I love that you talked about that. Well, I'm going to call with your permission, the interview to be continued because one area I was starting to make me think of whenever I think of what my life's like now versus what 
my life was like when I was a kid, being raised by a single mother. So maybe to, to be continued will be, maybe we'll bring you back on in the near future and talk about the world of being a single parent, because mm-hmm. that changes everything we just talked about at the end here, in the sense that, you know, you don't have that second person to trade off with. So yeah. And so, and that, that's a whole, like that on its own is a whole interview. So with your permission, maybe we'll call it to be continued. At, and I love it. Yeah, I would love it. Absolutely. Um, so people can learn about me on my website at www.suedecaro.com, S-U-E-D-E-C-A-R-O.com. Um, also, you can find me on Facebook, Sue DeCaro public page. And I have a private group for parents called Conscious Parents Thriving Kids, as well as a podcast for parents called Conscious Parents Thriving Kids. So those are some of the best places to find me. Well, Sue DeCaro, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And as I mentioned, I want to call it a to be continued. And let's look to bring you on back again down the road. So thanks for all the great work you're doing. And we will continue to wave the flag for all that great work. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. Appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.